Thanks for listening to the Who's Flying the Plane podcast. I'm Alex, and I'll be chatting to innovative and unique people about their lives, careers, and creative projects. My guest this time is actor and writer Millie Wood Downey, who's just finished a run of very well-received performances of her debut one-woman show, There Was a Little Girl. What do you remember from drama classes at school? Um, I remember lots of parachute games um, and lots of those weird square bean bags, um, which you would kind of throw onto a parachute um, and you'd pretend to be a cat maybe underneath the parachute with a, a kind of piece of material hanging out the back of your shorts, pretending to be a tail. I'm not sure what that's got to do with drama, um, but I remember that. And then uh, in secondary school, I remember trying to tackle very, very big topics like alcoholism um, in a really bad, naive way, like using masks. What do you mean using masks? What was the, <laughs> I don't even know what that would mean in that context. <laughs> so I once did a piece called, it was called Terry, and it was um, about a man who was an alcoholic. And me, I went to an all-girls school, so me and my friend, who were obviously both young girls, both played this man, Terry. She was sober Terry, who wouldn't wear a mask. And I was drunk Terry. <laughs> and drunk Terry would come out, would lure behind sober Terry with a mask on. And then we'd have these big flashing lights. And then I'd come out and pretend to be really drunk. Um, I'm not sure what the message was, really. I mean, it sounds like a creative idea, but maybe, you know, the yeah, bit of sensitive subject matter might have been a bit difficult to deal with. But... Slightly. And yeah. also just, um, yeah, we, we had no context of playing a drunk man. So, and I'm, I really just don't really know what the angle was. Um, but it was fun. So how did you go from working on things like that to where you are today? <laughs> did you... Could you look at your Luck. work then? Yeah. Could you look at your work then and think, yeah, well, this is, you know, I've got a future. Did you have teachers who could watch that and see, well, there's, there's something in it. There's something that you can develop there. How, yeah. did it, how did it stem from that? I think I was always the, um, I was always the, the student that got the main parts in all the plays. So I played like Mary in the nativity play and I got like Alice and Alice in Wonderland. Um, and I played Drunk Terry, which obviously I should have got an Oscar for. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I had really supportive um, teachers and I was always doing all, all the extracurricular stuff. Um, and it was just kind of natural progression, really. I just, I studied it for A-level, I studied drama and dance. Um, and then I actually fell out of love with acting. Um, and I decided that the industry was just not really in line with my ethos. It was, just felt very... Um, very, yeah, just not very nice, to be honest. It just felt quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? In demand, I suppose, very brutal. And um, so then I went traveling and, and uh, decided that it was my favorite thing to do. Like acting was my favorite thing to do and making theater. And so I went to uni to do it as a hobby. <laughs> and then I moved to Bristol. Um, and that was kind of my excuse. It was like, I'll go and do something that I enjoy doing. I'll get a degree from it, but I probably won't do it. Um, and then my first lesson at uni was um, physical theatre and I'd never done it before. And it was just this big collaboration of dance and drama, which are my two favourite things. And then from that moment onwards, I was like, I'm going to do this. You mentioned before we started recording that you don't like the process of going to auditions and having your fate in someone else's hands and that kind of thing, which led you to write your own work 
uh, including your uh, most recent project called There Was a Little Girl. So could you tell me why you chose to pursue the solo route, what your experience has been with the audition route, and then we can hear a little bit about that project. Definitely. So I got into the National Youth Theatre when I was 17, and I, um, I, that was an audition, and I prepared my audition, and I had lots of other people around me that had done the National Youth Theatre and had got in. And, um, and it was great. The audition went really well. All the little things that I was told might happen in the audition, for example, them getting you to redo the monologue, um, and apparently that means that you're in. That will happen. So I left feeling on top of the world and got in and did this great course, um, this summer course, and they opened up loads of opportunities. So loads of kind of um, opportunities to be in their plays or be part of their repertoire company. And so I kind of I went along auditioning for all these things, you know, kind of on cloud nine, just thinking that was that was just how it was going to happen. And I didn't get any of them. <laughs> I remember being like this is awful. Like I, I remember I, I kind of, kind of carted in, there were hundreds of people there. Half of them looked exactly the same as me. Half of them sounded exactly the same as me. Um, probably half of them doing the same bloody monologue as me. Um, I remember in one of them, I actually, I sang and rapped a song that I had made myself. And obviously they were, there was the first time they kind of looked up from their paper, just being like, did you write that? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh wow, that was really good. And I was like, oh, I've got it. I've got it. I didn't get in. They were just yeah. obviously excited to see something different. And uh, and basically after that, I was like, I just don't think this audition life is for me because I had to wait, you know, three, four weeks to hear back from them. I spent three, four weeks preparing for those, for those auditions. And I was like, that's like two months of my life gone mm. <laughs> on something that I didn't get where I could be spending two months making something myself. What I didn't really take into consideration is that obviously the reason that the audition process is so vigorous is because there's actual money in it and people are paying and there's, you know, there's funding coming from lots of different places. So I, I was in for a bit of a shock when uh, I realised that I started like, start have to make, start having to make work with zero budget. I follow what you do on social media and I noticed that you've been talking about your Arts Council funding quite publicly and I know there's been so many funding cuts and things like that over the over recent years because of the government we have at the moment and arts you know has really taken a hit so you must feel quite fortunate that you've been able to secure funding from it so could you tell me a little bit about that process I remember you telling me that it takes it took you about six months to yeah. just apply for it let alone hear back from them and all that kind of thing so tell me how arts funding worked for you. Sure. So, yes, I feel incredibly privileged and lucky to have got that funding. Um, the first time round as well, it's, it's a really difficult thing to get at the best of times, let alone in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, and I think I've been incredibly fortunate that I don't stop talking to loads of different people and um, I had a producing mentor that I approached and asked if he would, um, yeah, mentor me, basically. And after a couple of sessions with him, talking about what I do, telling about the journey pretty much word for word what I've just told you, really, and saying that I wanted to make my own work, he suggested that Arts Council was probably the route for me to go down. Um, I just made a spoken word audio piece called I Want To Be Good, which I think we'll probably talk about a little bit more later on, but... 
um, the themes from that from that poem, from that piece, which were kind of gendered attitude, attitudes towards women and young girls and, and f that feeling of f like how we feel that we need to be good and to live up to this kind of societal standard um, and how that can really affect us and really affect how we present ourselves. I'd only really just like skimmed the surface in this audio piece. Um, so I managed to have Luke, who was my mentor, um, once a month kind of um, just kind of hold my hand through it. Um, I know that you were mentioning, Alex, that you had a little look and they're, they're quite intimidating. Like the, the application within itself is about 55 pages long, um, but actually the questions in it are quite short and um, a lot of it is logistical stuff. So it's going out and planning the project and just having to put that, you know, word for word inside a document which can be feel like, um, yeah, hugely intimidating. What are they trying to get from you? What sort of information do you need to provide? Because if they've got 55 pages of questions about where you're going to put on a show or something, it sounds like it would be pretty soul-destroying to get through it, just to, I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, actually what it does, um, kind of, yeah, contrastingly really, is it makes you really get to know what the project is. So you know from the time you finish that application, you know exactly what you're doing it for, you know exactly who you're trying to reach, you know exactly where you're putting it on. Um, the problem with that, obviously, is that if you don't get the money, <laughs> you've planned this whole project and you know it and your head is happening. I think the more that you can allow yourself in that application to believe that you're going to get it, to write the questions as if you are getting it, not I, I hope to, but I will be, kind of that kind of language, that's the advice I've been given and it seemed to work for me. Um, the first time I actually put the application in, it came back unsuccessful. Um, but luckily, there's kind of four four reasons why your application was unsuccessful, and only one of those is that they chose other ones, and your application is fine. You can resubmit it. So I resubmitted it. Then I, I cried for a bit first, and then I resubmitted it the next day. Um, and then yeah, six weeks later, I, I got the funding in yeah early February this year. Um, but yeah, I think it feels completely inaccessible and I, it's something that I really, um, hope that this, for example, will kind of bring light to. And, and like you said, the fact that you followed it on social media and you've seen it, the reason I've been so public about it is just, I am just the same as, you know, hundreds of other artists that are on my social media that are making amazing work. The only difference is, is that I had someone to hold my hand to teach myself and, or, and also to teach me how to, how to write it. You can go over to the Who's Flying the Plane YouTube channel to see our new series, In the Studio, which gives a behind-the-scenes look into how makers work. You can already watch episodes with a ceramicist, a jewellery maker, and some traditional method printers. And there are many more episodes to come soon, so just search Who's Flying the Plane on YouTube. So you've got your funding now. Um, I've spent it. You spent it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all gone. Okay, let's wind it back a bit. Let's say so. At that point, you've just had the successful thing come back. They said, right, yeah, we're going to give you the funding. Had you written the piece at this point? Okay, so how do you start that? What's the inspiration for it? Uh, did you know going in exactly how it was going to turn out in some way, no. or yeah, how did the how how did the story take shape? 
So I knew that I wanted to look at those themes that I spoke about earlier and kind of these, yeah, preconceived attitudes towards women, to young girls from birth, you know, from like gender reveal parties and the fact that, you know, we've got the pink balloons and the blue balloons, um, all the way through to like, you know, watching rom-coms um, at, you know, in my early 20s or in my teens, like, you know, it's everywhere. This idea of what a woman is, what they're, they're meant to be, how they are perceived, how they're represented um in fiction and in life so i knew that but that's obviously again quite a a big subject um and it was originally meant to be a spoken word play um <laughs> which uh i thought i'd be able to execute really easily but you know the longest poem i'd ever written was 10 minutes and this was going to be an hour um so within the application i the, the application and the funding were for the research and development of the show for writing the show and for doing some work in progress showing so technically the show isn't finished I've, I've got a complete version of it but it's not done so I just started researching I was taking recommendations through my Instagram I was kind of getting people to give me books and podcasts and articles films anything um, the whole Meghan Markle uh, interview with Oprah happened right in the middle of my research um, the Sarah Everard you know tragedy that happened slap bang in the middle as well and that really dictated where the piece was going and also kind of just highlighted how important it was and how this issue is just not it's not resolved at all um, I suppose kind of in the same sense I barely skimmed the surface with my spoken word piece I think I've barely skimmed the surface with this play as well <laughs> Um, but yeah, the amazing thing about having funding is it allows you that space to be able to explore and, and go down your own journey and, and let the, yeah, let what's kind of, um, yeah, dictating you kind of show you the way, I suppose. Do the people at the Arts Fund have much say in what you do? Do they nothing. have they're nothing at all? They just they they give you the money and they say go ahead and make what you. This has been everyone's question. Everyone's I'd be, yeah, like, I'd be so, worried so... that you've got you've got someone like Big Brother is watching you yeah, now yeah, and yeah. you have to send it back for approval and stuff. So like that. everyone's been saying this, and I keep like working with people. And they're like, did Arts Council give you them? I'm like, no, Arts Council didn't give me them. Um, no. So in the application, you pretty much, like I said, you plan the whole thing. So I planned all of my collaborators. I had all those conversations to start with. Um, I managed to work with some incredible people that I just wouldn't have been able to do had I not been able to pay them. Um, and that felt amazing. It also meant I could hire loads of my friends and I hired loads of my, my, my boyfriend and loads of my mates doing, um, yeah, multiple different roles on the project, which was incredible. But no, Arts Council are not Big Brother. They, um, they obviously analyse and, and evaluate your application to start with. Um, and make sure that you are kind of ticking all the boxes. Um, they have a, a strategy called Let, Let's Create, which is kind of like a diversity strategy. So you have to make sure that you're kind of hitting lots of lots of that. And then you send in an evaluation at the end and um, hopefully, I'm still waiting to get mine back, but um, hopefully they'll release the final 10% of my funding. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you can do whatever you want, but that's why the application is so, um, there's a lot of, hoops to jump through because otherwise yeah you could literally put in anything you said that the version of there was a little girl that you've performed up to this point is effectively a work in progress show what are you looking to change in it 
and when are you, when are you taking it back on tour to you know so to speak is that something that you're thinking about at the moment or are you putting it behind and coming back to it down the line or what's the plan there and how do you get your inspiration is that from audience feedback and things like that so tell me a bit about that so um yeah so what i'm going to change um it w- it's a very very honest play it's about my life it's about different ways that i've presented as myself and obviously i am still myself and so i kind of wrote the play up until that present point and i had a lot of revelations towards the end i would go into more detail but i will ruin the play for you <laughs> and i'll ruin it for all the listeners so i feel like i'll save that but something there was something that i landed on which was inevitably the crux of the show it was the ending of the show and it was everyone's favourite part from the audience feedback that I've had. And so landing on that so close to when the shows were happening meant that um, there's a real turning point towards the end of it. And I want to make the play more about that idea. I know I'm talking very cryptically. but <laughs> So I will be using that as my kind of starting point again. And a lot of, a lot of the stuff that's happened in it, so there's different um, characters that I meet and they're kind of my friends or, or foes throughout my life and a lot of that will stay the same but I think it's the kind of overarching kind of idea and message that is that's so much more prominent in the latter part of the show at the beginning it's a little bit um a little bit more wishy-washy so that's what I want to change I want to tighten the writing up I didn't even get a chance to go through and look at like spelling mistakes it was that I mean I I wrote the ending on the first first show on the day of the first show so that will happen and my plan I hope is to do, um, I've recently moved to London and I hope to do um, a run in London because I didn't do any shows in London. (laughs) I did them between Bristol and Brighton because they're my real hometowns. Um, So I hope to do a run in London and hopefully that'll be at the beginning of next year. And then potentially Edinburgh 2022, maybe. It's kind of like, yeah, those ideas are just kind of floating about. And inspiration wise, yeah, the audience, my friends, my family, um, random people that I've never met before who've given really extensive feedback forms for me um, have been so interesting. And um, it's really it's been really touching, actually. Like, a lot of people have, have written some really generous and lovely comments about my performing, which is nice, <laughs> because I used, to, I used to perform with my theatre company, Penultimate, and it was very, very abstract. And I realised after doing this show, no one ever came up to us after and said, oh, you're really good at acting because we were acting ideas. So like, everyone was always like, wow, that show is mental. I loved it. But no one ever was like, you were a really good performer or you were a really good actor. So that was a really weird thing to, a weird piece of feedback to be receiving, which sounds strange as an actor. But yeah, so that was lovely. You're at a stage in your career when things are starting to open up a bit. You're getting a few more opportunities and making contacts and you're getting towards the stage where it's the only thing you're doing with your time. Like you're sort of slowly giving up part-time jobs and that kind of thing. Um, but obviously it takes a lot of work to get there. So is there any advice that you would give someone who's at a stage of their career when they're just not getting through? Where, you know, something that you could tell them that might encourage them or give them a bit of peace of mind that it does just take time and there's luck and other things involved. So just a little bit of advice for someone who's a bit earlier on in their career than you. Definitely. I mean, the one really big bit of advice I can give is that like creativity is such a a broad spectrum 
And if you can find something else that you love that kind of falls under that remit, which for me was working in social enterprise, if you can find a way of doing what you love in a slightly different form, then really push for it. Um, most of my work, or 50% of my work, is, um, is social enterprise. And I'm a producer, and it's exactly the same as when I produce theatre. It's exactly the same as producing my audio piece. It, I produce for them, and I get to also kind of, um, yeah, make work for marginalised people and, and work for multiple different communities. Um, it's really rewarding. It, it's a really safe space to practice my creative skills. You know, sometimes I'll do some like voiceover work for them or do some poetry or, um, but also it's a really great, um, it's a good income and it's, and it's really enjoyable work. So I think that if you can find a way of planting yourself into something where you can use your creativity and you can kind of, yeah, practice those skills, then do it. Like, I think for ages I was kind of like, so set in my ways that you make coffee until you're a famous actor <laughs> but that is just not the case and and one thing that my director said to me which really stuck was that like, no one makes theater full time like no one like she's got friends who are big in the game and a lot of them are still teaching or doing workshops or you know everyone's got their thing on the side which is their kind of sustainable thing if you can find the sustainable thing as something that you love i think all of the other stuff comes so much easier because I think you're just generally happier. So yeah, that would be my main bit of advice. Millie, what would you like to offer up as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? My hidden gem is Creative Connects. They are a community consultancy and social enterprise based in Bristol, run by Roger Griffith MBE, who has been my boss for three years. And we do amazing work connecting loads of different people in the city and beyond. Check them out on Instagram at Creative Connects. Okay, Millie, finally, could you tell us how we can keep up to date with what you do? And I know you mentioned that there's a fair few things in the pipeline for you and everything. So um, what should we keep an eye out for and where can we keep up to date with you? Cool. So my main my main place is Instagram. So I'm at Millie Wood Downey. You'll link it, won't you, Alex? I will, I Thanks. will. Because <laughs> so it's a bit of a tongue twister, that surname. Um, and I've got my website as well, which is uh, milliewooddowney.com. Very original. Um, but also just shoot me a message or a line. I'm, I'm really open to yeah, connecting and communicating with people. So, um, But generally, all that stuff will be there. Yeah. Cool. Thanks a lot for talking to me today, Millie. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs>